interesting sermon. Before that, let me not forget that we do have a, a few bits of sad news to share with our church family this morning. First of all, a week ago Thursday on March 29th, Edith Lukens passed away. Um, so we do ask you to please be, uh, keep the Lukens family in your prayers during this time. Um, and we'll keep you posted regarding any announcements about anything further. Um, you also probably heard that Bob Lusich has passed away. Um, his memorial service is today at 3 o'clock at the Tehachapi Seventh-day Adventist Church. And so those of you that, that knew him just definitely want to invite you to go to support that. And uh, please keep his family in your prayers as well. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord God in heaven, we thank you so much for how good you are to us, for the blessings of the Sabbath, and especially this Sabbath. Thank you for the blessings of our youth and our young people. And for the blessings of new life in Christ. I pray that as we hear your word this morning, that you would help us to understand it and to live it. In Jesus' name, amen. Jordan, I did leave my clicker up there, so I will have you click the slides, actually. Um, today, we're going to look at a sermon called Crossing the Chasm. Um, we're going to look at the book of Luke, chapter 16, it's an interesting story that I don't think we read very often. I sure don't read it very often until recently. Before that, how many of you have ever heard a story of St. Peter at the gate? A joke or a parable of St. Peter? Most of us, right? My favorite one is that a businessman comes up to heaven. Remember, these are fictitious jokes, stories. This isn't how heaven works. And you have St. Peter at the gate. And the businessman comes up and Peter says, well, looks like your name's on the list. You can go on in, but what's that you're carrying? And he says, well, this is my briefcase. I have to bring it with me. And Peter says, why? What, what, what do you want to bring a briefcase in here for? He says, I've got to have it. And so Peter says, open it up. Let's see what's inside. So the guy puts his briefcase down on the table and opens it up. And inside are lots and lots of chunks of gold. Maybe you know where this is going. Peter looks at him and he says, really? You're bringing pavement in here? <laughs> this story of St. Peter at the Gate, you've probably heard lots of different renditions of it. These types of stories go back to the, begin the turn of uh, to first century B.C. In fact, there are many accounts of similar stories. Back then they called it the Pearly Gate stories. In Judaism, in Christianity, and in Islam, very similar stories all around this. And so when Jesus is telling this story of the rich man and Lazarus that we're going to look at this morning, keep in mind that he's telling a story kind of like we would tell of St. Peter at the gate. Not a, not, a, not a factual story in its facts, but in the lessons it teaches us. So let's go ahead and read the story. Uh, Starting in Luke chapter 16, come with me there, Luke 16, and we're going to start with verse 19. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously, it's an interesting word, every day. Now, let me point this out. Purple was what the rich would wear. You know that. But this man is wearing purple how often? Every day. Not only is he wealthy and he has a you know, nice suit in his closet, he wears it every day. He's flaunting his riches everywhere he goes. I'm rich. Fine linen. So purple is the outer garments. Fine linen would be his undergarments. He has the best ones. And he fares sumptuously every day. He's feasting every single day of the week. Do you see a problem with this picture? 
If he's feasting every single day of the week, what is he forgetting to do? He's forgetting to keep the Sabbath. He's forgetting to keep the Sabbath because the Bible says we should rest and our servants should rest on the Sabbath. But this man is feasting sumptuously and I bet you he's not making all that food. He's rich. He sits back and lets his servants do it. So already we see that this rich man has a big problem. Next verse, verse 20, says, Now there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, at the rich man's gate. Now this is interesting. This is the only parable that we have characters who are named. The name Lazarus, Hebrew Eleazar, it means the one who God helps. So there was a beggar, the one who God helps, so you can already know where the story is going, who was full of sores and laid at the rich man's gate. It doesn't say he went and lay down. It says that he was laid at the gate. In other words, his friends would come and carry him every day to the one man who could help him, the rich man, and would lay him down at the gate. And uh, that's how he would provide for himself, except for the one fact thank you, that the rich man didn't give him anything. He lays him down at this gate. Interestingly enough, if this home has a gate around it, the homes back then were very close together. So if Lazarus is outside the gate, he can definitely hear what's happening in the house. He knows what's cooking for dinner, and he's wishing. In fact, the next verse here says, he's desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. He wants to eat just the crumbs, just the scraps, which were dog food. But he didn't. And then scripture says, but, or moreover, so the rich man treats him poorly, but what do the dogs do? They come over and they lick his sores. How many of you have a dog at home? What does your dog do when you're sick or when you're sad? It comes over and licks you because it wants to show affection to you. The dogs are treating Lazarus well. They're doing all they can to help the poor man, but the rich man who owns the dogs does nothing. In fact, back in Bible times, there were places where people could go and pay to have dogs come and lick their wounds because they thought they would be healed faster. That sounds odd, but actually, scientists recently have discovered that dog saliva has actually healing properties to it. I guess they knew what they were doing. Okay, so the dogs are caring for the man, but the, for Lazarus, but the rich man is not. Interesting, Ellen White, Christ's Object Lessons, page 261. She says, he did not treat the beggar, the rich man, did not treat the beggar with violence because the sight of him was disagreeable. He wasn't that bad of a guy. If the poor, loathsome specimen of humanity could be comforted by beholding him as he entered his gates, the rich man was willing that he, he could remain. But how rude is that? Oh, you know, I'm not going to give him any money, but if it makes him happy to see a rich man walk by every once in a while, fine, let him be there. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. Again, remember, this is a story of St. Peter at the gate, basically. This is not telling us what happens when we die. It's just describing, there's a bigger lesson to the story. Interesting, Abraham's bosom. You know, we have another story in the Bible where somebody is, goes to someone else's bosom. John chapter 13, the disciples meet for the Last Supper. And the Bible says that John was in Jesus' bosom. See, how they would eat back then is that everybody would basically lean on each other's chest all around the circle. And so whoever's leaning on my chest would be in my bosom. 
And whoever's chest I was leading on, I would be in their bosom. And so in other words, Lazarus is caught up to heaven, quotation marks here, and is leaning on Abraham's bosom at a feast. The rich man is feasting sumptuously every day, and he dies. The Lazarus dies, and his reward is he gets to have the feast now with, Ab- with Abraham. The rich man isn't very exciting. In fact, it's the opposite of exciting. He died, was buried, and being in torments in Hades, or hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. The rich man, in this allegory, is standing in hell, and he looks up across the way to see Lazarus, that beggar at his gate, is feasting on Abraham's bosom, in the place of honor. And here this rich man is being tormented. So the rich man cries out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am tormented in this flame. First of all, Father Abraham. The rich man is trying to plead his cause to Abraham by, uh, because he's related to him. Abraham was the father of the Jewish world. He was the father of all good Jews. And so this man is saying, Father Abraham, remember, I'm related to you. I should be up there. At least you should help me. He did not pray to God, but to Abraham. Thus he showed that he placed Abraham above God and he relied on his his relationship to Abraham for salvation. We'll look at that a little bit later. What else is wrong with this picture? Have mercy on me. Interesting. When two chapters later, when Jesus heals a blind man, the blind man says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The rich man has become a beggar. And then send Lazarus. There's four things wrong with this picture. First of all, the rich man knows Lazarus' name. If he was just a lowly beggar at the man's gate... Do you ask the homeless people on the street what their name is? Maybe we should. But the rich man obviously knows the guy's name. It's not just, and send that beggar, it's send Lazarus. Second of all, this rich man is here at the final judgment. His life and death situation is right before him. So don't you think that he might at least try to make amends? Lazarus, I'm I'm so sorry. I, I didn't know. I should have helped you. There's no sort of repentance here. The rich man does not try to repent of his ways. In fact, furthermore, he doesn't even address Lazarus. He addresses Abraham because Abraham's a high class person and Lazarus is not. He has not repented at all. The rich man still sees himself above Lazarus. He's he's treating him like a slave. In other words, Abraham, look, I shouldn't be here, but I'm here. But send Lazarus over here. Have him give me water. He's treating Lazarus like a slave. There is no repentance. Abraham says, son. This is the affectionate word for son, technon. In Spanish, maybe you'd say, hijito. Son, my precious son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and likewise Lazarus' evil things, and now he is comforted and you are tormented. 
And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed so that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from, he- from there pass to us. There's a big gulf fixed, a big chasm, a big canyon between these two things. And this is very important to, re- to recognize. This chasm has to do with his choices. He's chosen to be on the other side of the chasm. When the voice of God awakens the dead, he will come from the grave with the same appetites and passions, the same likes and dislikes that he cherished when living. God works no miracle to recreate a man who would not be recreated when he was given every opportunity. Again, if we can live without Christ in this world, he will live without us in the better world. This great chasm marks the finality of his choices. There's no turning back now at the end of time, at the end of the world. Again, this story is set in advance. This allegory is set in advance. The great gulf is fixed. The rich man can do nothing. But there's something even more fascinating in this verse. Look at this here. There's a great gulf fixed between you, the rich man, and us, Lazarus and Abraham, at the feast. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot. Wait a second. Those who want to pass from here, heaven, to you, hell, cannot? Something's wrong with this picture. Who in their right mind wants to pass from heaven to hell to help this rich man? There has to be somebody because Abraham says those who want to pass from here to you cannot. There's three characters in this story. The rich man is on the other side of the picture, on the other side of the chasm, so that we can't be talking about him. Abraham is narrating this story, so we can't talk, be talking about him. So the only one left is Lazarus, who oddly has been very silent. This whole story, nothing he says is audible. If I was Lazarus, I should say if any of us were Lazarus and this was happening on earth and somebody who mistreated us for years and years and years was finally getting what they deserved, perhaps our mindset would be a lot different than Lazarus's mindset. Lazarus is patient, long-suffering, long-suffering, covered with sores. He could be called the Job of the New Testament. Instead of shouting at him and saying, huh, Abraham serves him right. You know how badly he treated me all these years? Even his dogs treated me better than he does. Let him burn. Lazarus does not say that at all. In fact, I was reading a a book written by a man who uh, lived in the Aramaic culture uh, for many years that he says is very similar to the same type of culture and customs that they had at Jesus' time. And this is what he imagines, this is just his imagining, of what Lazarus may be saying. He says this, Lazarus is whispering in Abraham's ear and saying something like, Father Abraham, that, that's my old neighbor down there. We've known each other for years. Poor man, I, he's in such a fix. We have plenty of water here, and if it pleases you, I, I'd be happy to take a glass down to him. Imagine. Here's a man who was mistreated by the rich man all these years, 
The man knew his name and never helped him, never gave him the crumbs from his table, whose dogs had compassion on him, but he himself did not. Lazarus is willing to leave the comforts of heaven and go across into the bottomless pit just to give this man a gift that won't really do him any good except for the fact that Lazarus is showing kindness to him. But he can't because he cannot. That's love. But isn't that what Jesus did for us? Left the glory of heaven, the comforts of the, of the heavenly kingdom, and stepped down into this bottomless pit, this abyss of our world, to come down and give us a gift that most of us would reject or even had already rejected. That's the same type of love Christ calls us to share with others. The rich man realizes he's not going to get water. And he says, I beg you. He's begging again. Therefore, Father hasn't learned his lesson, still trying to be saved by his uh, religion, by his Jewish religion, his heritage. For I, that you would send him. He's still treating Lazarus like a slave. Send Lazarus to my father's house. I have five brothers that he may testify to them lest they also come to this place of torment. And Abraham says to him, well, they have Moses and the prophets. They have the scriptures. Let them hear them. Notice he says here, back then, most, uh, an estimate says that 15% of the population were literate, could read. The rest of them would hear the word in the synagogue. If they're attending the synagogue on the Sabbath, they'll hear the reading of the word. Let them hear them. Except for we already realized that this man is not keeping the Sabbath. His brothers probably are wealthy and are not doing the same because he's concerned for their eternal welfare. And so the rich man says, well, they can't hear it because they don't go to church. They don't read their Bibles. They, they, maybe they go, but they don't pay attention because I certainly didn't. He says, no, Father Abraham, which is an insult, by the way, to an elder. No, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Abraham says, no. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rise from the dead. Miracles do not equal belief. If your relationship with Jesus is based only on a miracle, look for higher ground. Find a solid foundation to build your faith upon. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded. They'll one rise from the dead. It's a very strange story, isn't it? But it's taught me a lot of lessons. Again, Christ's object lessons in Ellen White's commentary on this parable. She says, The closing scenes of earth's history are portrayed in the closing of the rich man's history. The rich man claimed to be a son of Abraham, but he was separated from Abraham by an impassable gulf, a character wrongly developed. Friends, there are lots of lessons in this story, but the main one is about our character. I'll mention three lessons that I've learned. First of all, the last judgment is final. How we live today determines which side we are on. Second, we are not saved by name, but by the state of our hearts. I firmly believe that we are in the remnant church of Bible prophecy 
But just because we're sitting in the church or we're a member of the church or even we're actively serving does not mean we'll be saved. It's our own hearts. It's our own characters. It's our own relationship with God that makes that difference. Have we given ourselves completely to God? Let's not go to the final judgment and say, but Lord, I'm an Adventist. Because he'll say, no, but did you have me living inside of you? This is serious. Rich man was not saved because Abraham was his father. Lazarus was saved because of his character, his long-suffering, patient character. Is Christ living in you? Can people see it? Finally, we are called to serve every human being out of love for them, no matter what they've done. That's every human being, not just the ones that are nice to you, not just the ones that you have nice thoughts when you think about them, but even those that when they come across your mind, your mind starts going in negative emotional paths. You have those people, right? You think about them, you're like, oh, no, I don't want to talk to them today. Anyone but them. Oh, do you know what they did to me? No, this shows us that in light of Jesus' sacrifice for us, what he did for us on the cross, coming down from, into our dark world just to give us a gift that most of us would reject, the same thing that Lazarus implied in this parable was willing to do to go across the chasm to give a drink of water to a rich man who had mistreated him all his life. So we also ought to treat others in this same Christ-like love, no matter what they've done. It's hard, but we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We cannot of ourselves just love people the way Christ wants us to love, but if he is living in us, then we can do all things. We can indeed serve others out of love. So today, very simply in closing, let's look at these three things, and I'm going to make three different I guess appeals is the right word for it. Three different things I've learned that I am asking you to consider doing as well. The last judgment is final. How we live today determines which side we are on. So ask yourself, am I on the Lord's side? Do my actions make that obvious? Number two, we are not saved by name, but by the state of our hearts. Ask Jesus to give you a new heart a new mind, and to live in and through you. It is only that way that you can be saved. There will be many people that get to heaven that believed all the right things but did not have Christ's character in their hearts. That character is what makes the difference. When Christ is living in you, he will lead you into all truth. So it's important that we have both. But if this is missing, we're just as lost as anyone else. Ask Jesus to live in you, to give you a new heart, to live in and through you. Finally, we are called to serve every human out of love for them, no matter what they've done. Pray for opportunities to serve that hard-to-love person with the love that Jesus gives. Can you think of somebody that you get hard feelings, bad feelings about when you think about them? Think about that person right now. Don't think too much about them, but just think about that name of the person. Now stop. I want you to pray for that person, that God would help you to serve that person, to do something to serve that person out of love for them. Because that's what Jesus did for us. He is our example. We must do the same.
our closing hymn this morning is, Lord, I want to be a Christian. It's a simple song, but in light of this story, what I've learned studying this story, it's very, integ- it's very important that Jesus is living in our hearts and that we let him work through us to lead us into everything he's calling us to do. Let's go ahead and sing that song before we, and then we'll have a word of prayer after that. Lord, I want to be a Christian. Just like the man in the story I told at the beginning, we cannot bring anything to heaven, not a bag of gold, nothing except for our characters. If you would like to ask Jesus to come inside of your life and to give you his character, stand with me as we close in prayer. And if you have that one person, maybe multiple people, that you know God is calling you to serve, intentionally serve with love, even though it's tough, raise your hand and commit to do that. Lord God, our hands are raised because we want to be more like Jesus. We're standing because we want to be more like like your son who gave everything for us. My simple prayer today is that you would please come and live in us. Give us clean hearts to serve you and to serve the people around us, no matter who they are, out of love for you. Lead us, Lord, into a more personal relationship relationship with you that is based and founded not on feelings, not on miracles, but on the word of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Brandon, Ali, Angelica, if you would come up here, you may be seated. When Jesus came out of the waters of baptism, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit came on him like a dove. In the book of Acts, after the people were baptized, there was often a prayer for the Holy Spirit to fill them. And so what I'd like to do now is just have a simple prayer for the three of, uh, for Brandon, Alyssa, and Angelica, that God would fill him with his Holy Spirit. Lord God in heaven, you're so good to all of us, and we're so thankful for the decisions of Alyssa and Angelica and Brandon here this morning. Lord, you've promised to fill us with your Holy Spirit. And right now, I'm asking that you would please do that in a mighty way with each one of them, with Brandon, with Angelica, with Alyssa, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit and guide them to the purposes and the plans, the big plans that you have for them. Let their life, their testimony, their witness everywhere they are be a a witness and a testimony to your love, your grace, your goodness, and your truth. And I pray that there will be many in heaven because of their witness. Thank you so much for your love and your goodness to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. Now from Romans 15, 5, and 6, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.